folks we're very excited to welcome back to the podcast the james brown of celtics podcasting aka the hardest working man in show business mr john corrales john how you doing sir thanks for coming on i'm doing all right how are you guys doing <laughs> doing doing great doing great look there, there's two main segments that we wanted to get to today one is about yourself celtics beat writer podcaster and how that experience has been slash will continue to be during COVID times we'll get to that a little bit later but first we need your help, John. We're trying to rank the top five benchmarks for a successful Celtics season this year. So another way of phrasing that is, if X doesn't happen this season, then nothing else matters. So for example, if Tatum is an MVP caliber, nothing else that we're doing matters. We're going right. to lay out our rankings, and these are heavily influenced by the people of Celtics Reddit. And John, we want your reactions to each of these rankings as we go through, and then maybe at the end, do give us your own re-ranking based on, on what you think is most important. Does that sound good? Okay. Hit me. Great. So, quick caveat. Uh, we're ruling out health as a benchmark, given it's, it's mostly a factor for, for pretty much every team in the NBA. So, so we're just ruling out health entirely. Um, I'm going to throw to Good. Jay now to get us off with our, our number one point. So, the first one that I want to bring up was actually the top voted uh, comment in the, the thread that we opened up leading into this show. And so, it was posted by Infinity1567. And the note was Jason Tatum becomes a top eight player in the league and Jalen Brown becomes top 15 to 20. Nothing else matters if our two best players aren't at least at that level. Okay. So that comment makes me think that we're, when we say nothing else matters, um, then we're, we're looking at ability to win a championship this season or ability to like that is that the basis of a successful season? Because this is Boston. That's always the that's always the basis. <laughs> well, I look at it as more uh, like we'll be in the mix, right? Like right. Milwaukee, you know, healthy Nets. Milwaukee probably doesn't win, but they're in the mix. You got to be in the mix to have that chance and take uh, advantage of those opportunities. Right. So. If we're basing it on that, then yeah, I mean, the, the only way the Celtics are going to get to that level is if Tatum and Brown level up a little bit. And I, I think considering that Tatum is ahead of Brown, uh, then you just kind of slide them both up equally. And that puts Jalen into all NBA potential and Tatum into MVP potential. If you got both guys on the all NBA team and Tatum's at first team and Jalen's the third team, then then the Celtics are very likely going to have a great season because that's going to exponentially have a ripple effect on the rest of the team, right? Like the role players are going to be better because those two guys are so damn good. They're going to, they're going to take so much attention that everyone else on the team, I think just naturally will, will their, their production will rise. So, so yeah, if, if that's the goal, if, how close are the Celtics to competing to a championship is is the question, then yeah, that that's where you start. So let me ask you, John, because this comes up a little bit in the sub, but it's always on my mind when I'm thinking about the differences between Tatum and Brown, and a lot of discussion comes up sometimes about whether these guys can ultimately win at the highest level together. 
as you've watched these guys uh, since they've been drafted closely on the Celtics here, how do you see their games playing off of each other? Do you see them ultimately being able to win at that high level and compete at that high level? Or do you suspect that because of their play styles and where they fit kind of on the floor, um, do you think they're going to have to get split up at some point? No, I think I think especially in today's modern NBA, the the positionless basketball, there, there's room for guys who both kind of do it all in a lot of ways. I mean, Tatum, Tatum is above Brown. He's just he's just smoother. He doesn't have to quite work as hard to get to where he wants to go. His big adjustment is changing his idea of where he wants to go and making it like focus on your straight line to the basket. Like if you put Jalen Brown's mentality into Jason Tatum's talent, then you've got basically LeBron, um, and <laughs> you know vice versa. So I, I think that Tatum can can just he's just such a natural scorer, and if he cuts out the mid range crap where you know it's it's five dribbles ISO fadeaway stuff like. Uh, as an aside, I got a lot of crap for writing a piece this past season about Jason Tatum is bad at ISO, but mm-hmm. the numbers still stand. When Jason Tatum, even in that that net series, I challenge anybody to go look at the mid range ISO numbers from Tatum in that series. He still shot like thirty five percent on those shots. It's still a bad shot for him, as awesome as he was. And my criticism of Tatum is not that. He's a bad player when he does that. It's it's that cut that stuff out and you can level up like that. That's the whole thing with him. Jalen has, you know, uh, he's such an interesting guy because he's shown himself to be good at a lot of different things. I kind of want to see him start to play off of Tatum a little bit more. I've been begging for pick and rolls with with Jalen setting picks for Tatum. And let's, even if the defense switches, because they're similarly sized and you say, okay, the defense is just going to switch. Well, punish the switch. You you are creating the mismatch. If they want to switch, then now you've all of a sudden got Jalen slipping and going to the basket and Tatum hitting him for a, a you know a wide open dunk. Punish the switch. So I, mm-hmm. I want to see them do that more. Um, I think if they can figure that part out, then... That that mentality that I said that Jalen had can can work. That mentality that Jason has can actually work. They they actually do kind of work well together. I just want to see them put it together and not be on other sides of the floor all the time. Just put it together. Yeah. So obviously the the Udoka coaching sample size is uh, extremely limited, limited to zero. In fact, and the fact that he's never been a head coach in the league, there is, is there no any sample cause size. for. <laughs> exactly. Is there any cause for optimism, like as far as um, that Tatum and Brown pick and roll? Is there anything that you know or people should know about Udoka that might make him more prone to to making that part of his offense? Whereas Brad Stevens, you know, barely utilized that at all. Well, I, I see that. You know, I, I lean on Udoka's time in San Antonio, where the Spurs had um, you know, uh, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and and those three guys. Now they they clearly are three different types of players, but they worked so well off of each other. They, they didn't go my turn, your turn. And Tim Duncan could have gone my turn, your turn 
all day long. No one would have said anything, but they didn't really. And I, I think having that experience there and then on top of it, having the experience in Philly where he saw how two guys with a lot of talent didn't work well together. I think that little chain of experience, take it into Brooklyn where those, you know, he just had a, um, a, an experience there with Steve Nash and three stars and, and how Kyrie was, you know, kind of out there and, uh, what Durant was as far as like a very business-like approach and, and, and James Harden's amazing talent, all of that stuff is information that he has that he can now try to apply to this relationship. He's got a lot of examples with a lot of the biggest names that, that Tatum and Brown respect. And I think when Udoka comes in and says, yeah, you know, I was talking to James Harden and this is what James Harden thinks. If you're Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you go, oh, really? What does James Harden think? If he says, yeah, Tim Duncan used to tell me this, are you going to blow off advice from Tim Duncan? No. So I, I think that he has, he has their attention just from that. And, and the other thing is the example that I'm, I, I lean on when it comes to Udoka connecting with Tatum and Brown, it's that Tatum and Brown have both been very active and vocal in coaching opportunities for minority candidates. Now they have a black head coach. They are playing for a black head coach. Considering their activism, considering their position, and considering now that they're in this position, I find it very difficult to believe that they're going to be anything but very attentive and very eager to make sure he does well so they can say, see, we told you. And yeah. I, I think that's important to them. So I think Udoka, whatever he brings right away is going to get immediate buy-in. And the real question with his coaching will be then, what does he do with this buy-in? He's coming in with a lot of capital with this team. And does he retain that capital throughout the season? Or does he have some level of, uh, is something or something with the X's and O's going to be something that tunes somebody out? Sure. Okay. Now, look, uh, getting back to this ranking, and we've inadvertently managed to touch on basically every point in our, in our five-step <laughs> ranking in the first question there. Um, before we move on from that's point That's my fault. One, I, I guess... talk too much. No, that's okay. We, that's we've why, got you're, to that's why you're here, here. John. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're in the business. Um, before we move on to point from point one, though, is it fair to say, like, if nothing else goes right this season, the, the one most important thing would be Jason Tatum continuing that superstar trajectory? Look, we can go ahead and sign all of the the Dennis Schroeders for 5.7 million. We can do all the little moves around the edges, but nothing matters really if Jason Tatum isn't who we think he is. Is that the most important factor? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, forget, forget the season, forget the results of this season. You just want to see Jason Tatum do that just because yeah. you're, he's the cornerstone of the, of, of the franchise, right? Him, Jalen mm -hmm. Brown, they're called the two pillars for a reason. So if nothing else, even if everything else fails, you want to see these two guys be even better than they were last year, because now you feel better about them moving forward. You can just chalk this up to a bridge year. Lots of things going wrong. Learning curve for first year head coach, first year president of basketball operations. All right, fine. We'll correct our mistakes. We'll move forward. But you want to at least be able to say, hey, look, Tatum went from third team, fringe third team, should have been third team to first team. You want to be able to have him be in that mix, a lock all NBA guy. 
you want Brown to be in that discussion. That that regardless of the results team wise, you do want that to feel better about this team's future. And John, I want to shift the conversation just a little bit here and talk about something that is probably a sore subject for all of us after last year, and that's defense. Uh, it was not pretty last year, uh, mm-hmm. but we've got user advisor T. Uh, he says, if we don't have a top five defense after all the offseason moves from the coaching change and the addition of the roster reconstruction, you know, we added a bunch of good defenders. Schroeder's pretty solid. Richardson's known for his defense. Then we have some serious issues. So nothing else matters if our defense isn't top tier. And really, how bad do you think our defense can be if we want to stay in that mix? I mean, is it top five, six, seven, ten? I mean, we were 13th last year by some miracle. I, I tend to think <laughs> NBA.com's numbers might be wrong, but uh, how how good do you want to see the defense to keep us in that mix? Well, yeah, I, I think I think the defense last year, here, here's, here's the thing. It, it looked bad. This is why 13 looks weird, right? It looked bad, and it, it wasn't great. 13th was, it looked surprisingly high, but everybody's defense was crappy last year. I have to keep that level of context. The short turnaround, the, the Lakers, I think, finished in the top, maybe they were the, were the top defensive team. Ten years ago, that, that defensive rating was, was bottom half of the NBA, maybe lower. Yeah. So last year's defensive ratings were just out of whack. So yes, the Celtics, your eye test is correct. The fact that it was 13th, also weird, but because of everyone being bad, they were still in the middle of the pack. So I think there's going to be a little bit of correction this year with the exhaustion from a very stupid schedule, uh, maybe going away. I think there's still going to be some level of fatigue because it's still a, a, a relatively short turnaround, but not quite as bad. Uh, but I do think the Celtics, for for the purposes of this discussion, have to be, I mean, at minimum top ten. But generally, when you're when you're looking to be in the mix, when you're looking to take advantage of maybe Philly has slipped and maybe the Celtics can slide into that third seed. That team has to be uh, a top, probably a top five defense or better, especially when you consider that the offense may struggle at times. There's so many question marks with this offense. I, I don't know how many guys are going to actually be able to step up. You're relying on Tatum and Brown a lot. This team's going to have to rely on its defense to win games. So top five is you know if the offense is great then you can slip to like top 10 but if the offense is kind of iffy then you got to be top five maybe top three defensive starting fives in the league so right there you're looking at a a, a team that can get stops now the bench i think is where your drop off defensively will be but that's where an uptick against other offenses uh second team offenses could come in if the Celtics in a best case scenario, I think that that's how it'll go. Your bench can kind of score a little bit. Your your starting unit will come in and get the stops and run off of those. And, you know, if we can get back to seeing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown get deflections on the weak side and go in for uncontested dunks, then the Celtics will be okay. 
I can see Wayne Spoonie shaking his head there. Wayne, Wayne Spoonie is the author of a, a huge body of work known as the Start Aaron Neesmith Manifesto. Um, just speaking of you know having Josh Richardson starting, I, I know you've talked about this on your podcast at length already, John, but we have made the argument several times that it makes more sense to start Aaron Neesmith, have more of a shooting threat to complement Brown and Tatum, and then have that added defense addressed in the bench lineup by having Josh Richardson come off the bench. Um, yeah, and if I, if I can just kind of put a, a finer point on that, I think it would be suicide to have Pritchard and Neesmith playing together for large swaths of the game defensively, like you just alluded to, John. So I think Neesmith makes a lot more sense in the starting lineup where shooting can open the floor instead of Richardson, who kind of was a brick fest last year. So that's the uh, that's the main thesis of the manifesto uh, <laughs> that you know, many, many tens of people read. <laughs> there are dozens Solid of us references dozens. to Magic the Gathering as well. <laughs> dozens. Uh, the here my counterpoint to that, and look, I, I've written a piece saying that Neesmith should get a look as a potential starter. I believe in that that line of thinking as well. There's it's a valid line of thinking. This the starting lineup needs shooting. You've got Tatum and Brown, you need some lanes to open up. Marcus Smart. We can get into that. I, I do think that his shooting can improve as the starting point guard, uh, but he's still not a floor spacer per se. Robert Williams is not going to space the floor. And then you go to Josh Richardson or Aaron Neesmith. Now, Neesmith, you're going you're gonna to bet that he is actually going to space the floor. And we've seen his hustle and all of that stuff. If you can keep a guy in front of him and switch effectively, then yeah, that's it, it's kind of like the reverse of the Josh Richardson argument where you say with Richardson, he's going to defend. If he can just hit some shots like he used to in Miami, 37, 38%, then no, he might not be Neesmith at his best, who maybe would be a 40% three-point shooter. But 37, 38% from Richardson, which we've seen before, just not recently, plus his defense, now you're saying, well, all right, now he can, he can space the floor. He, he can be a threat, and you've already got NBA-level, high-level NBA defense right there. Then you go to the second unit, and yes, defensively, Neesmith and Pritchard can be problematic, but also that's a lineup that needs shooting as well because Schroeder is not a shooter at all. He's, he's worse than Marcus Smart, and, and he wants you want him to be happy. You want him to be able to go out there and do what he needs to do so you need you need more shooting around him. So Neesmith, Orford off the bench with him, and you know maybe maybe Pritchard. It's it's a small lineup, but you're already sacrificing defense as it is. Go out there, mm-hmm. have Pritchard bomb away from th- from thirty feet. Have Neesmith, you know, out there catching catching and shooting. That will at least give you some floor spacing and let Schroeder go do his thing. Like I said, bench more offensive. Starting lineup, more defensive. And yes, you can switch, and, and maybe Neesmith will earn the role, and maybe maybe that'll come to pass. But right now, that's why I'm kind of still leaning Richardson. Shooter Join the revolution shooter, before is... it's too late, John. Join the revolution. <laughs> I'm not time. against Neesmith. I just, I'm right now leaning Richardson. I think Schroeder is not a shooter might be a, uh, a mantra for, for the season for a lot of fans That's out there. We've got to move on. Right there. Can, we, can we make a t-shirt with the umlaut over the O's and the shooter as well? <laughs> we need to market it. that now. 
<laughs> I just want but I just want ten percent. <laughs> we'll hook you up. Deal. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll get some revenue sharing happening between both podcasts just to make it fair. Um, we've got to move totally on. fair. <laughs> yeah. This is a comment from Sam Kaifel who says, "I believe people are too focused on players improving, which in theory is something we should or want. But I also think that people are skipping over if our top players play more like a team. I really want to see if Tatum and Brown can lead a team instead of just putting up big numbers. And of course, we've touched on this uh, to certain to a certain sure. extent already, John. And this leads to point three, the, the third most important benchmark, if you want to call it that, for this season." Uh, and this is stated by user I am not a robot with some binary numbers after the username there. The team has to increase ball movement and off ball movement regardless of individual talent. Nothing else matters if Udoka can't get the Celtics playing team basketball. Would you would you agree that's maybe the, the third most important factor going into the season or at least up there? I mean it's it's up there. It's certainly up there. It's a stated goal from Ime Udoka as well. And it goes back to the Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili Tony Parker comparison, those 14 uh, San Antonio Spurs were the pinnacle of what this comment is about. So I'm sure that it can be stressed to these guys that, yeah, go out there, move the ball, move yourself. You're going to get the ball back. I mean, that's something that I talked about a lot last season, and certainly the ball movement was Absolutely horrific last year. Yeah. But to borrow from Paul Pierce and his Yuri Welsh comments in the uh, SI <laughs> article, it's like Tatum can look at, well, who am I supposed to pass to? Grant Williams in the corner? Like at some point, it, it, w- it kind of became a catch 22. Those guys needed more shots so they can get into a groove. But when they got the shots, they missed. So Tatum and Brown took more, but those guys still needed more shots. So it just kept feeding each other. And so I think I think last season, I really don't want to put as much stock into last season as we normally put into prior seasons, because I do think that COVID and the turnaround, I think the team was very much trying to avoid sounding like they were making excuses. But there are a ton of things that impacted this team that play into why certain things happened. And so... The ball movement stopped because they were exhausted. They Tatum was coming off of COVID. A lot of guys were coming off of COVID. They they also just didn't trust each other offensively. They liked each other, but they just didn't trust each other to get the ball back. Every so often, the ball would move, and it would be like, hooray, you figured it out, and then it would stop. <laughs> I <again>. remember. <laughs> Save Hogwarts in the, the sub posted their comment in our thread. Uh, Robert Williams really needs to stay healthy. He needs to put up in 30 plus minutes regularly without breaking down. He played over 30 minutes exactly once last season. If Time Lord can't stay healthy, then almost nothing else matters. And I think that's a pretty it's not it's not to the same level as saying, you know, whether Jalen or or Jason perform at that next level, right? When we're talking about MVP or or all NBA for Jalen. Um but regardless of how well they play, if they want to be able to go and be really competitive, especially in the playoffs, they're going to need the big guy um, or the bigger guy, uh, the guy playing the big man role. But can we speak? Can you speak a little bit to what you're thinking about as far as the impact that you're expecting from our Robert Williams? I know you shared a little bit about your expectations for certain individual players looking forward into the season. Um, so I'm interested to hear your take 
especially with regards to what myself and, and save Hogwarts are bringing up. Yeah. I mean, I think Robert Williams is a very important player and, and, and there is something to this. And now I think having Al Horford on the team mitigates some of the potential loss. If Robert Williams does miss time, it also mitigates the need for Robert Williams to play 30 plus minutes. I think you can maybe, you know, there, there's 48 minutes at the center spot and assuming that they're not going to play together very much. Uh, I would hope they're not going to play together very much. That's just my you know, looking at Al Horford as the power forward. And I, I think we've seen that not work in places. Al Horford as a, a big, as a, as a, a five is probably best. So you, you could go down the middle 24 and 24 and be fine. Al's Al's numbers are supposed to drop anyway. 24, 25 has been pretty much effective for, for Robert Williams. You can, you can bring it up some, you can factor in. I don't know if Bruno Fernando is going to stick around, but Hey, maybe he has a, an opportunity. Maybe Grant Williams as a small ball five in certain situations can take some minutes away. So I think, Maybe moving forward, ultimately, throughout the course of now five years contractually of Robert Williams, you'd like to see him start to consistently get up over three, 30 minutes a game. But this season, I think they can really take it somewhat slowly and, and get him ramped up and get his body used to it. You know, I, I wonder if there's a physiological kind of element to this where his body's just built in a way where some of that stuff is going to happen. And it's, it's telling to me that it all happens on his left side, left hip, you know, left, all of, all of the stuff is on his left side. So, uh, but I, I, while I do agree that Robert Williams is very, very important. He can be the, the, the defensive quarterback on the back line. He can be a guy who bails other defenders out, you know, that human eraser where you made a mistake. No problem. Here I come to clean that up. He can be all of that. Um, and he's a tremendous passer. He loves being a passer. And so he's not out there just looking to score the whole time. And you need a guy on the floor that's going to be unselfish like that. So yeah, all of that's super important. I just think having Al Horford right now just drops that importance down just a tick where I think it can be managed. John, it is almost like we planned this. Uh, this <laughs> dovetails beautifully into our fifth, uh, our fifth point here. User Squim Jim says Horford has to be ninety percent of what he was in OKC, or nothing else matter. And we've all kind of, myself included, are just saying, "Hey, it's Al Horford. He's going to be solid. He'll make some threes, but he's old. I mean, he might have some." Greg Popovich signature DNP olds. He might get hurt. He might not just be the same guy anymore. And with Rob's injury history, all of a sudden we might be looking at a team that, and I'm, I'm shuddering. Ennis Cantor is the starting center for. Oh yeah. I forgot uh, so about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just got invited to training camp. So we're going to be covered. We got Cornette. Yeah, coming we're back good. In the we got the unicornet. <laughs> um, so uh, how much of the season hinges on Al Horford being pretty solid and being, you know, a 20 minute a night contributor? He's, I mean, he's, he's important. He's important. I think, especially for the second unit, because that second unit can be a little bit of a mess. Now we have a tendency to look at starters bench when it's never really in a game starters and then bench full bench units 
don't come in very often. And when they do, all of us in the media go, oh, tweet, a full bench unit. This is interesting. And so um, you're going to see when we when we talk about Schroeder coming in off the bench and who's going to be around him. I like Al Horford around him because he's a stabilizing factor. He's a guy that can can take an, a possession and direct it and be fine. You're probably going to get one of Jalen or Jason in there, uh, and, and that'll be fine. Marcus Smart's going to have to share the floor some with Dennis Schroeder to make sure both get the, the appropriate amount of minutes, which will be interesting. But I, I like I like Al Horford on that second unit. Um, and there may be times where he shares the floor with Robert Williams just as an experimentation thing. Uh, I actually am doing this whole series on Boston Sports Journal, 20 questions for, for the Celtics. And I'm in the process of writing all my pieces because I'm going on vacation. So I'm doing like the next two weeks worth of stuff. And next Monday, it's going to be the uh, Al Horford one. So I'm giving you a little preview of what I've written for Al Horford. I've already, so people may not realize that in Oklahoma City, he's, he averaged more points per game than he did in any season with the Celtics. And his per 36 uh, points per game, 18.3. Highest since he was in Atlanta in 23, 2014. So he was well. good. Okay. This is all to say that he was good. Now he has adjusted. He is much more perimeter based. Uh, 42% or so of his shots came from three, the highest point by far ever for him. So he's much more perimeter based. He's not going to bang down low, a function of his age, but he is still really, really good. So if, yeah, if he is 90% of what he was in OKC, I mean, I don't see why he can't be 100% of what he was in OKC. Yeah, he's a year older, but he only played 28 games. So he should be ready to go. Uh, if he if he can be that for the Celtics, then yeah. I wouldn't go so far as to say nothing else matters if he's not that, but it's still going to be a very important thing. John, you have just significantly increased my expectations for the season with that Al Horford spiel there. I'm going in a completely different mindset now, so thank you for that. Um, so that's our top five Hype according to... Begun. That's right. So that, that's the top five according to Reddit's very democratic upvote-downvote system. Um, mm-hmm. So just to quickly recap on them, Jason Tatum's trajectory to superstardom, team defense, team offense and ball movement, uh, what was the next one? Um, sorry, I've lost, lost my notes here. Robert um, Williams' health and, thank and you. ability and, and to Holford. take a step forward. That's right. And Al Holford remaining a, a competent contributor. Um, I'm not going to ask you to Go re-rank your those. Celtics or... fans are nervous about the big man position. <laughs> <laughs> That's clear. It's become very clear. John, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to re-rank those or provide your own rankings, but are there any important points there along the lines of nothing else matters if that, that you would include in this list? Well, I, I will say that I want to throw in whether the reclamation projects, Juancho Hernan Gomez and Josh Richardson pan out. Um, I don't want to say nothing else matters if they don't, because you can adjust. You gave up nothing basically for them. And if they're nothing, then you got nothing. But if the Celtics are going to do this, if they are going to climb and have a chance, that puncher's chance, they are going to need at least one of those two guys, both of them somehow to be productive. If both guys are productive, if Richardson recaptures some level of his shooting, 
37, 38%. If Wancho comes in and can at least be passable on defense while getting back to some of his hot shooting, he can shoot over 40% in some instances. If those two guys can be that, if, if Brad Stevens finds two gems at a yard sale, then a lot of other stuff actually is, is also mitigated. You don't need Tatum and Brown to quite do as much. My fear with all the other stuff is that you're going to rely on Tatum and Brown for 36, 37, 38 minutes a game. I just don't want to ride these guys. I know they're young. I know they're, you know, all of that stuff. I still don't want to ride these guys because I don't want to put too many miles on their legs too soon and push them, especially Tatum coming off that long season, coming off that short turnaround, coming off of Team USA. I would like to actually keep his minutes down to like 33, 34 to start the season and then slowly ramp him up. So that's going to require uh, Richardson to be good. It's going to require Hernan Gomez to be good. I'll throw Aaron Neesmith in there. The other thing is, can, can one of Aaron Neesmith or Peyton Pritchard hit? Can one of those guys in their second year come out and be a strong 20 to 25-minute rotation player? Um, I, I'm going to say the odds are better that it's Neesmith because he's bigger. He can shoot just like Pritchard can shoot. More switchability on defense, not quite the liability in the same way that Pritchard is. So if one of those guys can hit, if, if, if it's Neesmith and if it's one of the reclamation projects at the very least, if it's Richardson, then a lot changes for this team. You know, I, I make the joke in one of my pieces here that there are so many question marks for this team that the City Edition uniforms might as well be the Riddler's outfit because... <laughs> They, it's the right color. It's the right <laughs> color, right? You get the question marks on there. Um, you could probably look up and down. Could that the be roster. the new main team. <laughs> yes, uh, you can look up and down the roster and find six, seven guys where you can say, "Hey, if this guy hits, if this guy figures something out, then we got something." This is a very high variance team. If if the best case scenario works out for a bunch of these guys, hey, overachieving like crazy here. If the worst case scenario works out for these guys, then Jason Tatum's padding his playing tournament stats. Yeah, absolutely. So let me, John, I'd love to get your feedback on something because we, separate from these points that, that I think a lot of people have been enjoying, there's been a bit of a blood feud that started between Mr. Spoons and myself. A bit of a regarding blood feud. This, this guy is way back. This, is, this runs we, we, we've, been, we've been having it. Now, I myself am an unapologetic Marcus Smart enthusiast. And so uh, there's been some of the discussion around acquiring a third star to pair with the Jays. And with his sort of new more defined role and the affirmation from coaching and, and higher level uh, team leadership that he Marcus smart will be that starting point guard moving forward. I'm of a mindset and opinion currently that he's primed to have a breakout season and potentially explode into that role as that third star on this team. I, I argue and, and, and contend the point that Marcus smart can be an all-star and be the third star on this team if it competes for a championship, there are those that disagree with me. Some of them might be currently on the show with us right now. Um, 
we've gone back and forth. I would love to get your take on this, John. Yeah, settle the debate for us, John. Please. Okay. Um, my my feeling is somewhere in the middle there. Um, I am a Marcus Smart believer. It, I believe that him as a starting point guard will absolutely work. Um, I don't know that he's going to be an all-star. But, I mean, I'm not saying he can't be. I just don't see it. Um, I don't see him rising to the level of third star. Um, I see him being a more refined, more efficient version of what he's been. And my, my basis for that is, you look at his shooting numbers, his shooting numbers from the corner are somewhere up around 47, 48% from, on corner threes. His shooting numbers from above the break are like 30% crap. When you start with the ball in your hands and you start with the mentality of I've got to get the ball moving, well, you start, you pass, and then you move. So you pass and you cut. And in the rotation of where guys end up, the point guard tends to sift down into the corner and the guy who started in the corner tends to come on up and if you give the ball to a guy, if you give the ball up to Robert Williams on the right wing and he's running a dribble handoff with Jason Tatum coming up from the right corner, Tatum turns the corner, Jalen Brown or, or Josh Richardson is, is coming up. The other one is, is coming up from the corner and then Marcus Smart replaces into the corner. So now when the ball swings, swing, Smart's in the corner more often than he is above the break. And even if he slides up, he's sliding up right kind of towards the break, maybe not all the way up. So I think just by virtue of a shift, maybe not even a reduction in his three-point shooting, but a shift in the distribution, more corner threes versus above the break threes, I think we're going to see his shooting percentage go up. It's going to be a little more tolerable. I think he can probably get up to a 35, maybe 36% three-point shooter versus... 32 or 33 and those four extra percentage points are going to be huge. So that makes him passable. That makes him acceptable. I think that alone is going to make him a better, a bigger part of the offense. Um, and I, I like his ability to distribute the ball. I think he works really well in the pick and roll with Robert Williams. I think, I think he is going to have, I don't know if we want to call it a breakout season, but I think he's poised to have his best offensive season this year. So I sort of agree with you, but I'm not willing to take it to like you're taking it to the next next level, which would be That's what I'm about, baby. The <laughs> which I respect level. it. I respect it. I I, I here's just, here's where I'm coming from, right? Like I'm thinking a little bit about um a good example just of a team dynamic where where this kind of thing happened. That that Atlanta Hawks team that had like four different guys get onto that all star team, including Jeff Teague. And like I think of Jeff Teague even at his best, better shooter than Marcus Smart, but not really better at him at anything else. Um, I look at a guy like Ben Simmons, who was just in the All-Star game. And when you look at their numbers, even from last season, they're not that much different. In fact, Marcus is more of a perimeter threat, obviously, than than Ben Simmons is. And now Ben Simmons has taken a lot of heat lately, and I'm not trying to like add fuel to that dumpster fire that is the PR around his situation currently. But just statistically, when you look at it and production wise on the court, we were just talking about Marcus Smart having mostly kind of a down season and he still was matching the production that Ben Simmons is putting out there. And yet we can't 
even envision him in a similar kind of role. And I just find that confusing because I think Marcus has almost suffered a little bit throughout his career by being so open to exploring that versatility that he has in order to make sure he has a place on the court with other star guards like Isaiah, like Kyrie, like Kemba, that it hasn't given him that opportunity to really shine. And I think that's a little bit where you and I are seeing eye to eye. But the idea that he can't ascend another level and take it to that next step is I haven't yet heard an argument that helps me buy into that. So maybe maybe I'm going to be alone on this island until Marcus proves me right. And I believe he will. I'm, I'm not saying he can't. I don't want to. I don't want to ever say can't about certain players. I just don't think he will. Um, I, I and I, I just I just don't see it rising to that level. Yeah, he's matched certain production benchmarks from from other guys, but those other guys have had big impacts in in other ways, noticeable ways. So again, I'm not. I I don't want to put players in boxes. And and I'm not saying that Marcus Smart can't have like a season that blows everybody's mind. I think it, I think that's a little bit. I think it's just a little bit too far for me. I I just I I see him having a good season, his best offensive season. I think his his assist numbers are going to be great. I think his efficiency is going to go up. I think he's going to be an important, obviously very important guy, um, but also a very important part of the offense. So I, I do believe in that. Okay, so the debate rages on, it seems like. Thank you for not pulling the rug out from under Jay, who talks about Marcus Smart in his sleep, so he'll continue to, to thrive in that area of his life. But sounds like the debate's going to continue Listen, raging on. if you're going to be a fan season. of a guy, like, what better guy can you be a fan of? Listen, that's my daughter's favorite player, too. And, like, I couldn't be more proud than when she says, Dad, who's our favorite player? And I'm like, it's, it's Marcus Smart. It's hereditary. Of yeah. All right, look, we've, we've got to move on very quickly. Uh, John, uh, thank you for, for helping us sort of navigate our way through our, our top five there and for the people of Celtics Reddit as well. Tra- transitioning now slightly to you personally, John, and you're, you're an interesting guy, particularly because you're in the ears of most Celtics fans or at least most online Celtics fans. Part of that is that you need to come up with a fresh podcast five days a week. And I know that we have struggled at times, even after two weeks, to be like, shit, what are we going to talk about now? Um, so asking for a friend, but can you give us an idea of how you come up with podcast content on a, on a daily <laughs> basis? It seems extremely difficult. Um, so my podcasts are generally about half an hour. Um, it allows me to, to, to stick to one or two topics. Um, I don't have to go too crazy. Uh, this offseason has provided me a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about brad stevens has just kind of slowly been throwing new things out there for us so part of part of why i'm able to do five days a week even throughout this off season first the off season's been shorter so um we there there's less time to fill secondly jason tatum was on team usa so i had stuff to talk about there third brad stevens is just a maniac who doesn't sleep and just keeps making (laughs) making moves so i've had all of that um, I've, I've done, you know, my fair share of mailbags and stuff like that. I don't know. I think, I think I like to just look at the team and just look at different players and just kind of, I understand that this is a whole big evolving thing. It's almost like a living, breathing type of thing. You, you, you think something and then Brad Steven says, nope, we're going to do it this way. He's, oh, yeah. okay. So let's reevaluate everything. And, you know, part of it is obviously I like to talk. And so I won't shut up about things. 
so I, it's very easy for me to to come up with with certain ideas um to talk about because i could just come up with one thing and i'll just find different angles you know um i'm not a hot take kind of guy so i i see players situations team situations and I understand that there's, you know, two, three, four ways that this can go. You know, I, we could talk about Grant Williams. You just sit there and be like, okay, today's podcast is Grant Williams. Go. Well, what's, what are you talking about with Grant Williams? You talk about the situation that he's in. Why was last season a down season? You know, what can he do moving forward? How does he fit with this team? Um, you, you can keep on going. And so I, I just like to dissect and, not even necessarily make a lot of determinations. I can say, I think this is how it's going to go, but I don't know. I've, I've played the game and I understand from being a player that there are a lot of different influences. You know, something you do once doesn't mean you, you do the same thing. You don't get the same results sometimes. So I understand that players, you know, sometimes you just, you don't you feel like shit out there and you know people want to kill you for it but you know some days you go to work and you feel like shit that's how it's going to happen it doesn't matter no amount of paycheck is going to say oh well you don't feel like shit anymore like yeah this is nice but i still i didn't get enough sleep last night i got into a fight with my wife or whatever it is so i don't know i i i rely on my experience uh having been around the team learning a lot about the nba experience learning a lot from brad stevens about what it takes to even make an nba team run it really gives me a lot of perspective on a lot of things so whenever a topic comes up i can really try to attack it from a lot of different angles and 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 that allows me to kind of stretch things out stretch out conversations and 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 carry that on for for longer periods of time to, to what extent so, have you become a, a fan of the team? Like, you know, we've had a, a lot of Celtics beat writers and reporters on the podcast, and all of them uniformly say, I am not a fan of the team in any way. It's work. My job is to evaluate the team. At the end of the day, I don't really care if they win or lose. I just need to write about them. You've been covering the team for a while. You've gotten to know players and staff personally. I'm just wondering, does that has that sort of led to you developing some sort of fandom of the Celtics or for the Celtics? Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's human nature involved and and look i grew up in rhode island i grew up a celtics fan and so it's true that covering the team like my my loyalty is to the game of basketball and whatever happens on the floor i i do remove emotion from that because my job is like everybody else said my job is to tell you what happened honestly as honestly as i can this is you know i, I i'll sit here and say I like Marcus Smart. I, if, if I was still playing and Marcus Smart be- became my teammate, I'd be doing backflips. I want to play with a dude like Marcus Smart. He's got the same mentality. I love that mentality. Like, that's exactly. So that's great. And I've talked to Marcus Smart plenty. He is a genuinely good guy. He's got his heart's in the right place. And for all of the stuff, hey, he takes some bad shots sometimes and people want to throw some vitriol at him. It's just basketball. So as a, as a just a pure human being, I can say, yeah, I want Marcus Smart to do well. He's a good dude. He's working his ass off. 
I want him to do well. At the same time, if I got a job with the LA Times tomorrow, flew out to Los Angeles and I was covering the Los Angeles Lakers, team I grew up hating, and, you know, LeBron's on there, and now how people in Boston love LeBron James. Uh, I, if I was covering the Lakers and getting to know all of the guys in the Lakers and getting the, you know, some interpersonal communication and you're around those guys, there is human nature that comes in and says, you know, I see how hard these guys are working. And in the end, these are just human beings with one amazing skill playing basketball, but they're just human beings out there trying to earn a living. And so if I was still playing, and the Lakers said, hey, John, we want to sign you for $10 million. And no one else is offering me that. I'd be like, hello, purple and gold. <laughs> Love being a Laker. You know, and it's weird. Right, so look, we're going to end that topic right there. <laughs> but hey, look, man, Paul Pierce grew you. up in Inglewood. He's going into the Hall of Fame on Saturday as a Celtic. That's yeah. how it goes. He was a Lakers fan. He hated the Celtics. Now here he is, Mr. Bleed Green, right? That's, That's right. how it goes. He didn't yeah. want to be drafted by the Celtics, but here we are. And that's that's how it goes. So but my my number one thing is watch a game, tell you what happened. If Marcus Smart, who I just shared all my affinity for, sucks in a game, I gotta tell you, Marcus Smart sucked. Why he <laughs> sucked and what he needs to do to be better. And if he continues to suck, then I gotta figure out, well, Maybe it's time to trade Marcus Smart. You know what I mean? Like, I have yeah. to have that in me You've got to, be to tell you. All I got to do is give you the facts. You guys go crazy with your fandom. Go nuts. I just want you to have however you're reacting based in fact. So if the Celtics do win a title at some point in the next few years, are, are you cracking a bottle of champagne? Are you celebrating with the rest of us? Or are you, <laughs> are you pulling out the typewriter, so to speak, and uh, putting your head down and working on that, that next article straight away? I, I have to I have to work, man. I have to work. I mean, I can't can't celebrate anything because sorry, I'll drink two for you, my friend. There you go. For you. There you go. <laughs> now, I will go home and celebrate a season that you know is probably giving me a ton of page views and podcast views and listens mm -hmm. and all that. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, it's my. I understand. I think at that point there is a time for people to celebrate. I. The tone of what I write will be celebratory, but I still will be writing in the midst of the celebration. So this kind of leads into uh, a question that I, I had for you, um, given the, the way that you interact with the team and, and your history reporting on the team. With the shift away from cable television um, and more into streaming now and in an environment that's becoming increasingly uh, – familiar with like digital content becoming tradable commodities. How do you see the access to teams and players changing um, for fans, but also for journalists and reporters like yourself? That's an interesting question because you couple that with COVID and now the league teams have this wedge that they can drive in there to pull us away. And the league may, and the players may say, well, we don't need you anymore because we can just connect to fans on our own. But I push back on that because these guys aren't storytellers. These guys aren't out there painting any pictures. 
just by posting on your Instagram doesn't tell anybody anything. Posting an Instagram live doesn't tell anybody anything because you're not, you're connecting to fans, but fans want to learn more about these players. And this whole streaming, Instagram, TikTok, whatever the hell is out there, what's next? It's PR. It's not getting to know these guys. My job is to find that thing that gets a player to open up and tell you a story about who this player really is. And so that comes from somebody on the outside observing me watching a game, me watching guys at practice or some, when I say me, it's a journalist that's watching practices, games, interactions in locker rooms, interactions after games, interactions down the hall, you know, all of these things come into play when I say, all right, I'm noticing X, Y, and Z. I'm going to explore that. I, you know, and maybe I talk to some other people before I talk to the player, but there are things that a player will never tell you about himself that people like me will find out and tell that story. And people will share it maybe on Reddit and you'll have comments and conversations and it'll shape how you feel about a player. Maybe that story will make Marcus Smart somebody's favorite player. Or maybe something will tell you about Josh Richardson and make you say, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. I'm going to cut him a break. Or something that makes you say, geez, I, didn't, I, I thought I liked this guy. He's kind of a dick. Like, the, w- <laughs> either way, it's, it, whatever the story is, the story is. And uh, We're looking I, at you, Tristan Thompson. <clears throat> Was that? Oh, Tristan Thompson. We're looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Tristan's a piece of work. Um, but I think, I think having us have access is really important. And we're, we are continuing to fight for the same level of access. Locker rooms, practices, with the understanding that, look, it's COVID. It's a weird time. We know that things are going to be different. So we're willing to operate differently. Maybe it's more zooms. Maybe it's a plexiglass tunnel throughout the back that we journalists have to walk through. I don't know what it is, but if it's just players connecting through social media, you're never going to get the whole story and it's not going to work because it's fans are going to want more and it's going to be more than these players and teams are going to want to get. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you're certainly doing a good job of keeping that that standard high, despite the the challenges that have been introduced by by COVID and whatnot. John Corrales, we hope you, that you enjoy your insanely well deserved vacation. I know it's been a, a long season for you, and you've been continuing to crank out the pods throughout the off season. Brad Stevens just won't. All I've been uh, hearing stop. all week is how he's looking forward to this vacation. That's right, <laughs> right. <laughs> very <laughs> much looking forward to this vacation. <laughs> I can imagine it's very, very well deserved. Uh, John, Thank thanks you. for all that you do for the insatiable Celtics fans of the world, and thanks for coming back on the pod. Appreciate you. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. Mm-hmm.